0: Well, moving right along through our fun-filled, action-packed week of Christmas, we have uh, the memorial of St. Thomas Beckett, Uh, another martyr. We began with St. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and we got another martyr in this this octave, within this octave. Now, because it falls within an octave, something funny happens. Uh, You notice I'm wearing the Christmas colors and not the colors of a martyr. Okay? And actually, all the readings and everything is exactly the same. The only difference is you throw in the martyr's prayer, the prayer that's proper to St. Thomas (coughs) Beckett um, for the opening prayer, what's called the collect. So that's the only difference. And I'm going to preach about him, too. Um, Thomas Beckett, he was uh, the most famous martyr uh, of the Middle Ages. He was martyred in 1170. And he was really a martyr for the rights and the authority of the church as over against the secular powers. Uh, the antagonist in this particular instance and in this particular drama was Henry II, King Henry II of England. Um, Thomas was the Bishop of Canterbury, which is the main see in, in uh, England. And uh, there's a conflict between the two, and as a result of it, uh, St. Thomas uh, was martyred. And uh, why he's the most famous martyr uh, of the Middle Ages is because very soon after his murder, uh, he was murdered right in the Cathedral of Canterbury, and um, he was buried there, and a lot of miracles started taking place at his tomb. So he, he was canonized only three years after his death, which especially in the Middle Ages was considered a very quick canonization. Um, and, uh, miracle upon miracle and healings were just flowing forth out of the, near this, the saint's tomb. So that's why he became the most famous, uh, martyr of the Middle Ages. And, uh, he was, his, uh, tomb is the third most important, uh, pilgrimage site in all of Christendom, uh, at that time. And if anybody has, can remember their high school English class, I was an English teacher, so I taught, uh, you guys maybe can remember the Canterbury Tales. Uh, Chaucer's *The Canterbury Tales*, and that is the whole setting. And the context of that is a story about these pilgrims traveling to the, the tomb of Thomas uh, Becket. Well, in any event, uh, this guy is a really neat saint because he kind of went through a, a little conversion, a mini conversion. Uh, he was he was Henry II's buddy, like party buddy, when he was the deacon. Okay. And, uh, Henry II thought, oh, this guy, he loves comfort and luxury, and he, he was kind of Henry II's sort of lackey, he did whatever he wanted him to do, and he thought, okay, if I make this guy bishop, I got someone who's gonna do exactly what I want, and there's not gonna be any conflict, I'm not gonna be having to hear any preaching about things that I'm doing wrong or whatever from this guy, you know. So, he, he ordains them, um, he, he elects him, he, you know, he influences his, his, uh, consecration as, as bishop. But, Thomas Beckett went through a very serious conversion. He, he kind of woke up, he said, oh my god, I'm a bishop, I gotta really take this whole clergy thing really seriously. And so he went through a very big conversion and he started, uh, uh embracing a very severe penitential life and, uh, a life of great austerity. And and really all of his old party mannerisms and life of comfort and love of luxury just went out the window. And suddenly Henry was like, wait a second, this is not the Thomas that I know. What's going on here? And next thing you know, there's a conflict between the two and Thomas was exiled from his see, and then he came back and then he was kicked out and it really came down to the rights of the Pope over against the King of England. And Thomas was uncompromising, he says, in this particular issue. You king are transgressing your boundaries, and uh, you're violating the rights of the church that have been ordained by Christ. And you're out of line, Mr. Period. Okay. There's no fudging on this one. And Henry didn't like that. So eventually... Um, when, in, a, in a period of time when uh, Thomas was back in his sea and he was living in the cathedral, assassins were sent in to kill him. It was four nights, and they came in. Uh, there detailed eyewitnesses. So the other thing that makes this guy's life interesting, detailed uh, account of his martyrdom because there were many eyewitnesses. And it's extremely gruesome. I don't even want to get into the details, but they were they basically were just slicing multiple times at his head. All right, and his his just they just really it was a very very gruesome murder right in the cathedral, and um, Thomas the after he got hit the first time he fell on the on his knees and he was not dead yet and he said the last thing he said uh, in utter calmness and peace of mind and collectedness he says for the name of Jesus and the protection of the church I embrace death okay. And, uh, you know, it, you want to read the details. It was, it's very, very gruesome. Uh, I won't, I'll spare you the details. But, in any event, um, he, everybody was very impressed and how he embraced death. I'm just going to read you another, uh, account, eyewitness about his dead body when they were preparing his body for burial. It says, His dead body was removed and placed in the shrine before the altar of Christ. On the morrow, it was carried by the monks and deposited in a tomb of marble within the crypt. Now, to speak the truth, Uh, that which I saw with my own eyes. He wore hair cloth next to his skin, then a coarse woolen fabric, over that a black cowl, then the white cowl in which he was consecrated. He also wore his tunic and dalmatic, his chasuble, pall, which is a cloak, and his mitre, which is what the bishop has on his head. Lower down he had drawers, I mean his underwear, he had drawers of sackcloth, and over these others of linen. His socks were of wool and he had on sandals. Now, first of all, he was wearing a lot of clothes, but that's because they didn't have heating at that time, and the cathedrals were really cold, really cold. So these guys had to wear, like, basically parkas 24-7 because it was so cold. That's why he had so many clothes on. But the, what I draw your attention to is that he had hair cloth next to his skin, and then he had all his vestments and his kind of regal-style clothes over that. And the hair cloth is very uncomfortable to wear. It's a a penitential garment. And his underwear itself was of sackcloth, again, another very, very uncomfortable uh, cloth, and then linen over that, you see. So the comfortable cloth was over the uncomfortable cloth. Uncomfortable cloth was what was next to his skin. So he's doing two things at the same time. He is uh, embracing... Penance and austerity for the love of Christ and in humility, but then all the more he's covering it up too, so it's hidden. Okay. And that's humility. And so the moral of the story for us, I think, is the humility that we see at Christmas time with Christ and his great divinity is, is, is humbled and hidden within the guise, so to speak, of a little baby. Okay. That kind of same humility. We see that in the saints. We see it in St. Thomas. And that's the humility that leads to obedience to the church. Okay, so many people today, today it's very fashionable to dissent from, uh, the church's teaching on what's called the pelvic matters. Okay, so any kind of thing with sexual morality, usually there's automatically, we don't, we don't believe the church. We pick and choose what we wanted, what we want to embrace and what we don't want to embrace. And that's a, it's a violation of faith, it's a violation of charity. Okay, with charity we should embrace the communion of the church. Uh, it's a violation of obedience, but really also, too, it's it's really contrary to the virtue of humility as well. And I believe in Thomas's case, it was humility that led him to say, who do I think I am <coughs> Tre- treating the church's teaching as if it was optional? And it was that humility that brought him to a place of utter surrender to the church's teaching, even at the expense of his life. So, my brothers and sisters, I leave you with that. I think that's kind of the take-home lesson, or at least one of many take-home lessons we can gather from this saint. So let's ourselves uh, not pick and choose what we want to believe, what we don't want to believe that the church teaches, but let's embrace the fullness of the Catholic faith uh, in humility like Thomas Beckett.